You're listening to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study five days a week. While our mission is to showcase a variety of different Bible teachers, if you want to access more content from a particular pastor, simply listen to the end of the episode for additional information. On behalf of the entire team at Get Fed Today, it is our prayer that today's episode encourages your growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 6, first three verses, children... Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. This exhortation given to Children, And when we say children, understand we're not talking about newborns here. Certainly that is a parental responsibility. And uh, we kind of want to stretch this out a bit over the next few weeks and talk about that. But this is something that was read publicly in the church at Ephesus. And if it was read publicly, then you know the children that were listening were old enough to understand this exhortation that was specifically given to them. It's, it, it's written directly to them. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Now, there's only four places in the entire Bible that are written directly to children. Only four. I will read them in Exodus chapter 20 in the Ten Commandments. The first time it says, Honor thy father and thy mother that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, the fifth commandment. Then in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 16, reiterates that, Honor thy father and thy mother, as the Lord thy God hath commanded thee, that thy days may be prolonged, and that, that it may go well with thee in the land which the Lord God Thy God giveth thee. Paul, of course, picking up on part of Deuteronomy. Here it is, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest live long on the earth. And then in Colossians, uh, it says, There, children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. So as we go through those verses, uh, the four passages in the Bible written directly to children all say obey and honor. Those are the things that the scripture puts in front of the hearts of young young men and women and expects them to be able to take hold of that and understand what the scripture is saying. Particularly important in that culture, Paul said when he wrote to the Romans, speaking of the culture, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, and merciful, and so forth. And then Paul says specifically, in the last days, 
2 Timothy chapter 3, the days we're living in, it says, This know also, it's a present imperative, this you must continually be taking hold of, that in the last days perilous times shall come. Men shall be lovers of their own selves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without love for family, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of any, no love for that which is good, traitors, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Sounds like the days that we live in. I, I know you would agree with that. Uh, you know, and that part of the culture that we're living in right now is disobedient to parents. Now look, I understand that many of you here, first service, third service, where it says obey parents, honor them. There are many here today that are bitter. Wrestling with hatred, unforgiveness because they had an abusive mother or an abusive father or both. This context, remember, that we're looking at, when Paul wrote it, there was no chapter break. The context is being filled with the Spirit. A Spirit-filled wife that is submitted to her husband, a partner with him. A Spirit-filled husband who is loving his wife the way Christ loves the church. A Spirit-filled home where the exhortation can come to a child who's old enough to understand Obey your parents, plural, your mother, father. It's right. It's just right. It's part of God's commandment. And things will go well with you. It lends itself to longevity, to prosperity. This comes from a God. Jeremiah tells us this. God says, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. God's commands, his instruction, have our well-being in mind. And if you understand Jeremiah 29, everybody loves that verse, but verse 1 says, now these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the residue of elders which were carried away captives and to the priests and the prophets to all the people who Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. It's saying this message is to those who were in sin, who were in error, who were idolatrous, who gave their lives to all of the wrong things and then ended up in captivity because of them, to those people, God says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you an expected end. God says, there is a method here. There is something that I'm doing that you don't see and you don't understand. So as he tells children here to obey, to honor their parents, he understands no child has done that perfectly. No parent has parented perfectly. Every parent is part of a support group, adult children of sinning parents. That's the support group we all belong to. 
and understand in the culture this was written in, again, revolutionary, because in the Roman and the Greek cultures, but in Rome, there was the power of the Roman father, patria potestas. It was called the father's power. And the tradition was that when there was a newborn baby, they would take that baby, lay it on a table or a stand before the father. If the father bent down and took that baby and picked it up, it meant then that child was accepted into the home. If it was a daughter that the father didn't want or a child the father didn't want, he could turn his back and walk away. Then that child was, was thrown into, uh, sold into slavery or it was left to die in an alleyway somewhere. Once the father took the child, he had complete rights. He could have that child work in his field along with his indentured servants and slaves. He could have that child do menial labor. He could beat that child with whips and canes. If that child gave him a hard time as it grew up, he could take the child outside and kill the child. There was no problem in Rome. That's the culture that this is written to. And it's revolutionary that Paul's saying, wives, this is, if you're filled with the Spirit and you love Jesus, this is the way you should be. Husbands, you should be like Christ. You're filled with the Spirit, this is the way you should be. And children, you should obey your parents. Honor them. This is what God wants, not just from you. He wants this for you. And this is a God who knows the thoughts that he thinks towards us. Thoughts of good, not of evil, to bring us to an expected end. I understand if you're if you're brokenhearted today. I understand if your family has been a plague instead of a blessing. I understand when those things happen. In fact, when it says here, children obey your parents, that word obey means literally to hear under. Means you're supposed to be subservient. Children you hear under, you listen to your parents. When my mom comes third service, she's 86. She's the only person on the planet that still calls me Joey (laughs) and still bosses me around and tells me what to do, and I jump. You don't ever get away from that. You're still the kid, and they're still the parent. You still honor them. But imagine a a child, a toddler, you know, in an abusive home, a little kid with a a six-foot scowling, mean-spirited father screaming and yelling, being mean and abusive in the home. What, What kind of brokenness that produces? Imagine, put yourself in that position. Imagine somebody 13 or 14 foot tall standing over you, screaming at you every day, how intimidating that would be. I understand there are some here that hate parents, that are struggling. But I want to take my time and go through this child-parent relationship for the next few weeks. And I want to say something to you that are younger. I want to say something to you that struggle with suicidal thoughts, substance abuse, anger. I want to say something to everybody here that thinks, who is that old guy up there who don't know nothing? 
That will become more true as the years go on, by the way. I'm forgetting more and more. But I still know something. And I don't normally do this, so I'm going to ask that you would kind of uh, tolerate me this morning because I want it to be an introduction into these verses as we study them together. But I want to say something to you why these things are important to me. Because a lot of you raised a broken home, some of you raised by a grandma. An aunt. My grandpa lived in the house with us. He came across the Atlantic in a sailboat. uh, Immigrated here. I loved him. He died when I was eight years old. And uh, I remember Thanksgiving morning, them carrying him out the front door. The undertaker came and got him. Loved him. He left me that year under the Christmas tree. There was a present from him, and it was my first Bible at eight years old. And somehow he knew before he went. And, of course, I wasn't saved. I didn't know anything about that. I remember he had a picture of Jesus in his room. I remember I liked to sit next to him and ask him questions all the time. And I wasn't driving him crazy. He enjoyed it, too, I could tell. But his wife, my grandma Mary, never knew her. Pictures of her all around the house, my, my dad's mom, because she had committed suicide three days before I was born. My mom was getting ready to deliver. My dad said they smelled gas in the middle of the night. He went downstairs and found her dead in the oven. She had turned the gas on and laid in the oven and killed herself. My aunt, who died a couple of years ago at 86, just kind of filled me in. I actually wrote notes, just told me. That I, I, I kind of put together bits and pieces of the family, and, and some I lived through and I knew, but just my, my grandma Mary, her first husband, John, who married her, uh, cheated on her, got, committed adultery, got involved with this other woman, John Husset, and uh, ended up divorcing my grandma, left her depressed, and just right after he got hooked up with this other woman, they got in a gunfight, and they shot each other at the same time. He died. She lived, survived the gunshot wound. And the tavern that the family owned went, and all of the finances went to this woman who kind of had invaded the family. And my grandma, you know, just living depressed. But before he got killed, he had taken their first son, John, when he was a year old. He disappeared one day. She didn't know where it was. Here he had gone down to the docks, got on a boat, and took the baby, less than a year old, back to Hungary because he felt he'd be better off raised in Europe than America. Came home a year later. You know, my grandma, they both disappeared, depressed, all this. He tried to do it with my Aunt Josephine, who I remember well, and the cops caught him down. There was a big fist fight, a big scene. It was in the paper down at the docks, you know. Uh, but after he got shot, years later, they heard that my Uncle John came back from Hungary and had moved to St. Louis. And my grandma went out to talk to him. Of course, he was less than a year old when he was taken to Hungary. He said, lady, I don't know who you are. Why should I listen to you? Why don't I do And she's already depressed. She got electroshock therapy in the early 1940s. 
And two uncles went out and finally convinced him to come back. And he came back and moved in the house with my dad. My, my grandpa now had married my grandma Mary. My dad's born. And you know, it was kind of a fractured family, different pieces, different dads there. And, uh, but grew up then with his older brother, half-brother John, who he loved. John finds out that he has Lou Gehrig's disease at John Hopkins way back when. Nothing, of course, they could do. And he's a bootlegger during Prohibition, drank too much of his own whiskey, alone, depressed, incurable disease. My dad goes downstairs one day and finds him hanging in the basement, dead, and my father had to to cut him down. Remember my cousin, named after him, Johnny, my father's sister's son, my first cousin, older than me. We were growing up. I remember going over to their house one day. They're all crying. Relatives. You know, you're a kid. You know something's going on, but they don't, you know, you, you sit somewhere else, you know. And uh, and then I remember not seeing Johnny for a while and saying, Where, where's, where's Johnny? And they would say, well, he's at college. He's away at college. And then finally, when I'm around 12, they tell me he's in Gradersford Prison because he got his girlfriend pregnant Sin makes a mess, you see. And then him and his best friend got in a fight over the girl because his best friend wanted to have sex with her too. And they were fighting in his best friend's father's truck. He was a farmer and would sell his stuff. And they started fighting over a gun, and the gun went off and shot him through the chin and killed him. So my cousin, 17, figures... I have to cover this up. So he drives the truck off a cliff up by Scranton, and there were floods there, hoping that everything's going to disappear. And, of course, they found him, and uh, the whole thing opened up. He ended up going to Gratersford. I remember they told me, 12 years old, going to Gratersford Prison, if you've ever been there for the first time, you walk in those iron doors and hear them slam behind you. And they echo down this long hallway where you see people walking. I remember being 12 thinking, I never want to be here. And then sitting and talking to him through a cage, through stainless steel wire and crying. He got out, I remember, years later. Then within a year, he was back in again because he got involved with a girl that was too young. Then he got out again. I was living on the West Coast. And I heard he lived with a Christian family at the end of his life. But 30 years later, he drove up to Scranton where he had killed his friend and he gassed himself in his car. Still guilty. After 30 years. There was alcohol in my family, abuse, murder, suicide. Always a liquor cabinet in the house when I grew up. And I remember thinking... Why are they telling me not to smoke pot? You're, you guys are drinking just... And when I smoked pot, I thought, you guys are crazy. You should smoke pot, not drink. This is way better. It's, you know. But, of course, I, I look at recreational marijuana now, I think that was the gateway for me. That was the way to inhalants, to LSD, to everything else that I did and loved. And in the middle of that mess, myself, immoral, got to the point where I thought about suicide because it's just empty. I remember when Joanna was born, watching Kathy squeeze her out in a clinic in Portland. 
We didn't have any medical. And uh, very strange when you see a head on both ends going, ah, 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 you know, just it's sci-fi, you know. Uh, I've watched that four times. But, you know, I, I, I was in my 20s. I remember on the way home from the hospital breaking down and sobbing because I had been immoral. I had, and I thought, Lord, this is genius. This is what this is about. This is not about satisfying my selfish lust. This is not what women are for, Lord. This is, this is, Lord, genius. This is what this is about. This is what's going on. And I, I think in my own life, immorality, drugs, 1972, Jesus Christ interrupted all of that, and he changed my life forever. He changed my life forever. And, and here's the thing. God graciously gave me two sons and two daughters that are walking with and serving the Lord. Virgins, when they get married, no drugs, no alcohol. You see, the pattern was broken in our family by the power of Jesus Christ. Because I can remember murder and prison and suicide and substance abuse. And when I look at some of you that struggle, I get to talk to cutting yourselves or depression or I'm using again. You just need to know I don't ever say to you, get away from that. Don't do that because I want to ruin your fun or cramp your style. There's not a pastor on staff that has that attitude. I lived those things out. Don't say that old guy up there don't know what I'm going through. Unless you've done something on Mars or Venus, you haven't done anything that I didn't live through. And I would spare you. I would spare you. Because there ain't nothing out there. There ain't nothing new. It becomes more fatal. But there isn't anything out there. And when I hear the Lord, who loves you so much he gave his own son, say, obey your parents. Not just little kids, you know. He challenged the Pharisees for taking money from people so they could say Corbin and not having to support their parents when they were old. That was part of honoring their parents. You may not walk in the counsel of your parents. They may be unbelievers, but somebody still squeezed you out on the table somewhere. God chose those biological vessels to give you life. And you honor them because you honor God. Doesn't mean you have to listen to them. Doesn't mean that they didn't hurt your feelings. There is there, but there is some level of you sitting back and saying, oh, God, you are sovereign. This was your design. Here I am. And you use those two physical frames to give me life. 
I don't appreciate their attitude. They need to get saved. They may have hurt me deeply when I was little, but God, Jesus Christ has set me free from all of that, and I'm going to be different, and I'm not going to live the way they lived, and my grandparents lived, and all that. I am going to live for you, Lord, and I want my kids to live for you, and I want my grandkids to live for you, and if you are gracious, Lord, the pattern's going to be broken in my life. It's going to be broken. And you know, look, for me, the crazy thing is, I I get around sometimes young pastors, you know, young people in the church, and they think they need to be edgy or something to reach broken people. You know, I I, I hear these sometimes young guys think that it's cool to say frickin' or sucks from the pulpit. Or they're endorsing social drinking, man, that's cool. And then what they say about me is, he's an old fogey. He's a legalist. He's not supportive of, look, I can't tell you, if you go out to dinner with your wife and have a glass of wine, that's not sin. I don't think the Bible says that. But if you want to be in ministry, you lead from the front. You lead by example. And we're in a culture, we're in a culture where substance is destroying everything. And and don't point at me and say, he don't get it. He's an old guy. He's a legalist. My mouth was fouler than yours. And I took more alcohol and drugs than you did. And when I got saved, I got emancipated. I got set free from all of that. I'm not a legalist. That's bondage to me. I have freedom without it. I don't have to dabble in some nemic form of worldliness to try to reach a lost generation. I need the power of the Holy Ghost to do that not carnality. So don't tell me he don't get it. He's an old fogey. He's a legalist. I'm not a legalist. The reason I don't drink or I don't do any of that is because I was trapped by it. I was in prison to it. I watched the generation before me and the generation before that. I saw the prison door slam. I listened to the suicide. I thought about suicide. I saw the tears. I saw the insanity. And I'm free. I'm free. Kids are free. And I don't want to ruin your fun. I don't want to cramp your style. But it goes nowhere. Drugs alcohol. It goes nowhere. Premarital sex, it makes a mess. It goes nowhere. Suicide ends nothing. It casts you off into eternity and you continue to live. When I hear kids talking about depression or cutting themselves, I want to talk to them. I want to know what's going on in their life. And I'm not talking with my heart empty. I want to see you step away from it and conquer it with Jesus Christ and be victorious in your life and pass that to the next generation. And I have the same God you do and the same Bible you do and the same Holy Spirit you do. And you don't want me doing those things. Oh, yeah, Pastor Joe, he's sleeping around. 
He drinks once in a while, smokes a, some, you know, smokes a joint once in a while. You don't want me doing that. If you knew I was doing that, you wouldn't come to church here. So what's your rule? It's, it's okay for you to do it, but it ain't okay for me to do it. We're all going to stand in front of the same God. You're his bride. You're his children. I couldn't tell you anything but. Don't mess with it. Don't mess with it. Because I don't know. No, because I do know. Because I don't care. I do care. The assistant pastors here care. Jerry, who did announcements this morning, was in a mental institution and in a drug rehab center. Rob, who leads worship, uh, heroin addict for years. He's got hepatitis A, hepatitis B, hepatitis C, hepatitis D. I think he's got Sesame Street hepatitis. <laughs> Tom Swope, who runs the Sunday school, alcoholic for years. Don't tell me Jesus can't change your life. I set you free. Don't tell me they're a bunch of old legalists. I'm not an old legalist. I was in prison. I was in bondage. I'm free in Jesus Christ. That's not legalism. That's liberation. And God asks these things of the next generation. Children, obey your parents and the Lord. Why? It's right. First of all, it's just right. Even in the animal kingdom. You know, the mother lion teaches the young lions survivability. This is what you need to do. This is, you know, your parents are going to... So just in the natural, it's just right, and it's right in the Lord, it says. And God's motive is that you might prosper, that you might live a long life. Listen, again, here's the deal. You're, again, you're going to learn. I said it before. You're going to learn to obey and respect. Might be in school, might be in reform school. Might be in prison. Might be in the military where your drill instructor can't wait to teach you to obey and be respectful. Might be by getting fired from job after job after job. God says where I want you to learn to obey and be respectful is in the home. He's describing a home where the mom and dad is going to love the kid and not be some giant scowling over them, but stooping down in tenderness to speak, to encourage. And he says this, your quality of life is never going to be determined by your IQ. That may help. Never going to be determined by your education. And I think you should get one. It's a good thing. It's never going to be determined by your wealth. It's never going to be determined by your natural talents. Your quality of life is directly related to your ability to obey the word of the Lord. Because there are people with nothing in this world that are filled with joy and expectation looking forward to their Savior coming. They are not empty at all. And there are millionaires who are empty every day. They're in Betty Ford Clinic. They're never satisfied. You look at some of these guys in, in, in professional sports that are making millions of dollars that are getting busted for cocaine. Or, you know, you just think, what are you talking about? 
your quality of life is directly determined by your willingness to obey the Word of God so that you might prosper, that you might live long. If you learn obedience and respect, it doesn't, it doesn't guarantee that say nothing terrible ever happens to people. It doesn't say that. Terrible things don't happen to good people. It doesn't say that. It says in general terms, if you learn obedience and respect the way God wants you to, it will lend itself to all of the other endeavors of your life. My challenge to you as we go through this, look, I didn't want to just get up here. I mean, I do. I do want to get up here and just tell you what the Greek words mean and teach you through this and and do it and get to the parents and talk about parents. What's your responsibility? How do you teach your children? How do you give them the nurture and admonition? I want to do that. But I want to start by saying in this next couple of weeks, there isn't any motivation on my part to be looking down at you, telling you this is what you need to do, even though I don't understand what you're going through. My motivation is when I hear that you're depressed, I don't want to hear you gashed yourself in the oven or hung yourself in the basement. See? When I hear that you're involved in sexual sin, I don't want to hear you got in a gunfight or shot your best friend. When I hear you're involved in substance, I don't want to hear that you OD'd because I can still see the faces of kids I had in my Bible class in this school that they found dead, heart blown out from oxys. kids that I loved and looked in their faces and warned them and laughed with them. I like bad kids. You got to have bad kids in your life. I love them. And if they know you're not being phony, they're open. But I don't like doing their funerals. And I've done too many. So I want to say to you, as we go through this next couple of weeks, you're struggling, come to us, talk to us. You're suicidal, don't think we don't know, come and talk to us. You're involved in a mess, don't think we don't know, come talk to us. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He can set you free. He can take the broken pieces of your life and start to rebuild. He's a restorer, a redeemer, a reconciler. He specializes in broken things. And in this world, when something's broken, you throw it away. In God's kingdom, when something's broken, that's when he gets to work. That's when he gets to work. So over these next few weeks, look. Don't say, Pastor Joe, you don't understand. You don't know. I do know. I know, okay? I know. And I understand. Okay? 
And forgive me because I don't share about my family. I don't do that. I think about you. I don't want to hear about prison, suicide, gunfights, alcoholism. I want to see you walk with Jesus. I want to see you with hope. I want to see you step beyond whatever is dragging you down today. And I know that can happen because it's the God that I serve. It's the God that I serve. I do it with joy. He set me free. He set me free. Let's stand. Let's pray. If you want prayer today, I encourage you to make your way down here after the service. The pastors will be here. We'd love to hear your story. We'd love to pray with you. Love to encourage you. Father, I know you've overheard, Lord. And Lord, I am so thankful, Lord. Look in the face my wife, my children. My grandchildren, the comrades, Lord, you've given me, the friendships, the people on staff, the people we worship with every week. I am so thankful, Lord. And Lord, you allow us to jettison, Lord, every chain and shackle from the past and to lift up our heads, Lord, washed in your blood, set free. Give us a future and a hope, Lord, an expected end. And to know that the thoughts, Lord, you think towards us are not thoughts of evil, but of good. That glory, Lord, is, is on your heart to bring us to an expected end. So, Lord, I pray over these weeks, Lord, just the brokenness, bitterness, hatred, Discouragement, depression, maybe from abusive homes, Lord. By your grace, and by your grace alone, Lord, what the psychologists and psychiatrists could never do, Lord, your Holy Spirit, your word would do. People would stand up, Lord. You told that man to, to take up his pallet, Lord, laying by the pool of Bethesda. Crippled for 38 years, you said, take up your pallet and go home. Do that to us, Lord, this week, next week, Lord, these weeks. All that's been broken in us because of what was broken around us, Lord, we ask you to heal. You are the redeemer, the reconciler, the restorer. And have our hearts afresh today, Lord Jesus, please. Have our hearts afresh. Lord, let us take hold of the hem of your garment, Lord, like that woman, and refuse to let go, Lord. Refuse to let go, Lord. And strengthen us. Lead us. Keep us. Heal us, Lord. Your power, your glory, Lord. We pray, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Joe Foch. If you enjoy the message, you can access more of Pastor Joe's teaching ministry by visiting ccphilly.org.